Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. The indie game Dear Esther is a first-person ghost story with stunning visuals and compelling narration. Composer Jessica Curry used a string quartet, a piano, voice, and electronic elements to score the game, which takes place on the Scottish island chain called the Hebrides. Dear Esther's success has not been without controversy. The creators of the game, indie studio The Chinese Room, wanted to remove traditional elements of gameplay to see if Dear Esther still got played. Well, when it went on sale in early 2012, it took less than six hours to become profitable, a huge accomplishment for a smaller game. Jessica Curry's music captures a sense of distance, of otherworldliness. For my taste, she added the perfect amount of distorted sounds to keep me mindful that all was not as beautiful and picturesque as the visuals of the game led me to believe. time in your schedule to speak with me about this wonderful music you did for Dear Esther. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I still can't quite believe that people are interested in it and want to talk about it, so it's lovely. Yes. Will you tell me how Dear Esther started? Dear Esther started as a Half-Life 2 mod in 2008, so we built it with very, very little money. We had a very small grant. And actually, it came from Dan Pinchbeck, who's the creative director of the Chinese Room. And uh, he works in academia and wanted to ask a very specific question to gamers, which was, if you remove traditional gameplay, will gamers still want to have a gaming experience? So he stripped it right back and it just became about exploration. Mm-hmm. And we released this mod on ModDB thinking what well, it might get. 50, 60, you know, downloads and couldn't believe at the almost immediate response to it. Mm -hmm. We were absolutely gobsmacked. So it started out as this very small thing. And then a very, very talented man called Rob Briscoe, who's a designer, played the mod on ModDB and said, I think this could be absolutely amazing as a fully fledged game. Mm -hmm. Would you like me to do the art for it and of course we jumped at it he'd been working on mirror's edge which is a phenomenal looking game Mm -hmm. and he then spent three years pretty much locked in a cupboard (laughs) (laughs) um, eating pot noodles doing this labor of love for nothing Mm. and so it's been a very very long process to get from 2008 to here and you mentioned the chinese room can you explain what that is So the Chinese Room is our development company. Basically, it's Dan Pinchbeck and me. There's just the two of us. Mm. We're very small. And it's very unusual for a composer to be co-director of a games company. Mm -hmm. But we knew from the start that we wanted music to be a really central element to the game playing experiences and the games we made. So it seemed to make sense to kind of formalise that arrangement and it works out really well and it's very hard work because we'd never run a business before and it's very challenging on those kind of day-to-day business levels but it's also an amazing amount of fun Mm -hmm. 
how you chose to score the music? Well, when I scored for the original mod, I didn't have any music budget at all for any live instrumentalists. <laughs> right. So did what I kind of hate doing, and I think most composers hate doing, which is using samples to sound like live instruments. Mm-hmm. And it was a complete budgetary decision. There was no artistic decision in it and mm-hmm. just made it sound the best I could with the very limited resources that I had. But then when we decided to commercialise the game last year, I suddenly had this, not a massive budget, but a nice enough budget to have a string quartet, Mm -hmm. a pianist and a singer. And I had the wonderful opportunity to use live instruments. And I think that's when the score really came to life. such beautiful melodic chamber music and I I adore hearing chamber music in a game. Thank you so much. A lot of the decisions that I made around Esther were out of ignorance rather than aesthetic (laughs) um, or creative decisions because I'd never written music for a game before. Mm -hmm. I went to the National Film and Television School so I kind of had an idea how to score to picture Mm -hmm. but games were a completely new territory for me at that time and so I wrote the music that I really wanted to write without really any consideration of what game music normally sounds like so the music tells a very linear story in a way it isn't I there are no loops in the music for Dear Mm. Esther which I didn't realize at the time is highly unusual (laughs) yes yes and it has a dramatic and narrative flow of its own and I think what's so amazing for me is that people really responded to that people didn't go what is this or it doesn't sound like game music or I don't think that's fitting Mm -hmm. people had a very beautiful response to it so I was really touched and amazed by that but the voices didn't really become a clear part of the score until just about halfway through the game, if my memory serves me Mm. correctly. And then other sounds begin to kind of creep in as well. So can you talk about that linear, that kind of arc that you chose, well, (laughs) just kind of accidentally ended up writing, I guess? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Dan Pinchbeck is absolutely fantastic to work with because he lets you be good at what you're good at doing he doesn't um, really interfere and pretty much the only thing he said at the beginning was that he wanted there to be 
space and silence and that no element of the game should be overpowering or kind of really in your face. It shouldn't be telling the story too overtly. He wanted this ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the voice represents a facet of Esther, the character, but I never wanted it to become a really overt link because I think then that would have spoiled the mystery. So Mm -hmm. that sung voice creeps in very gradually as the game continues. So you get this idea of this ghost almost, I think, of a woman who isn't there anymore, but you you need that sense of mystery around it. I always work with pretty much with soundscapes as well in my work and that's a really important facet of what I do so in the original score in 2008 I had a lot of soundscapes and distorted sounds and Mm. we decided to keep those Mm -hmm. for the remake as such of the game and again it's about this kind of muffled attempt at communication that you get these the radio mast is so important a visual symbol in Esther and so I wanted to have these scrambled Mm-hmm. signals and that you're getting these this sense of communication but you want there's always that ambiguity there Um, I haven't told that many people this, but um, I played the word Esther in Morse code and it just repeats her name over and over again. And there's lots of little hidden things like that. I wanted there to be these secret acts of communication that only a few people might uncover. Wow, what track does that happen in? Well, it was originally called The Code and then we renamed them all and I can't actually remember any of the names, which is a real problem. And we've just, I'm working on another game with Dan at the moment. I've done exactly the same thing and it's a disaster. I need to learn just to stick with the original name that we have. Um, So unimpressively, I just, I don't know, I can't tell you. That's okay. We'll be able to figure it out between the two of us, I'm sure. But it actually provided a really lovely rhythmic drive. It just so happened that the name Esther worked out really beautifully, actually, with that rhythm. So it was a really nice little thing to put in. Oh, that's wonderful. definitely one of the most recent projects in a, in a growing list of games, which a lot of people kind of question whether or not it's actually a game. You've kind of talked a little bit about this earlier in our chat, but can you give me a few more thoughts on what you feel defines a product as a game? I think that's such a great question, and it's a debate that is really raging in the games industry at the moment and Dan and I have quite a an emphatic take on it which is we're not really interested in calling it a game or not or it's nice to have the debate but actually I think we live 
in an increasingly transmedia world and actually we have all these crossover art forms you don't just get dance anymore you don't just get music or film all these amazing art forms are increasingly merging and I think similarly what is seen as a game is expanding on a daily basis and I think that's absolutely amazing but people do get really cross that we call Esther a game and some people want to call it an interactive experience some people want to call it new media but actually it's not so important to us we just want people to enjoy it as an experience Mm -hmm. and Dan especially is more militant about this and gets (laughs) slightly cross when people say well it's not a game can you you know explain why you think it should be mm-hmm. allowed to be called a game mm-hmm. and I just think yeah, increasingly those questions are going to become irrelevant Some of the, well, not some of the visuals, the game, the, the entire experience is, is visually just breathtaking. And especially when you get down into the caves, it's so gorgeous. What kinds of visuals did you have at your disposal when you were originally writing for Esther? Oh, first of all, thank you so much for those comments. I will pass those on to Rob because I do think his artwork is absolutely breathtaking. Yes. And it was so important for me as a composer to see those images and I remember when he first sent through the caves I cried which doesn't happen very often when I'm working because you kind of have your you know work head on but I just was so overwhelmed by those images and I just thought at that point you get that special feeling where you think we've created something really amazing Mm -hmm, here mm -hmm. and actually it was quite a lot to live up to because I think his visuals are so strong Mm and so beautiful that actually it really confirmed that I wanted the music to be about restraint Mm. and that was really important to me that sense of no facet no part of the game should overwhelm the other so we had three very strong elements I think with Dan's writing with the narrative Mm -hmm. with Rob's visuals and my music and we were very we knew that we it had to be a, a sort of a trinity where no one was kind of taking the lead or yes. shouting over the other one. And I think one of the reasons why people like the music is because it lets the story and it lets the visuals breathe. I hope that's what I wanted to achieve anyway, which is that sense of space and that very Scottish sound, yes. which I couldn't achieve in the original when I was using samples. When sure. I reorchestrated it, I had the opportunity to work with some amazing musicians and to give it that sort of very non-vibrato sound, very sparse, yes. very spare, quite lonely. Yes, and, um, Very English in a lot of ways. Yeah, a lot of people have said that to me, actually, which is really funny <laughs> because when you come from a place, you don't realise right. that you're imprinting this cultural heritage so strongly. <laughs> but a lot of people say, oh, you know, your work is reminiscent of Elgar and Vaughan mm-hmm. Williams and that very English pastoral uh, where the countryside is very important yes. and that kind of very bucolic um, sound and 
it's funny because, you know, when you do it, you don't realize really. Right. Now, not an Englishman, but but a very famous <laughs> composer, uh, Mendelssohn, wrote a great overture all about the Hebrides. And I've always wanted to visit the Hebrides because of that overture. been and I think funnily enough we did talk about this a lot when we were making the game of whether we should as a team go up and visit and we all decided that it needed to be from our imagination which now I say it sounds really Ponzi really (laughs) yes we're artists darling we couldn't (laughs) possibly use reality but it it wasn't like that at the time I'm sure it was in the pub with going oh not enough money (laughs) probably was how we actually decided (laughs) but I think we thought it was very important to have this sort of Dan's very interested in psychogeography and that kind of sense of an imagined sense of place Mm -hmm. rather than the reality Mm -hmm. so now the game is wrapped and it's out, I think we should all, the three of us should have a trip up and actually see what it's really like. Because yes. everyone who's been says it's absolutely amazing and so calm and peaceful. Mm. And I think Rob really managed to bring that sense yes, absolutely. of stillness and isolation to the game. background I only started playing the piano because my brother was doing it and I was really jealous and very competitive (laughs) and um, this is like I was born in 1973 Emily I'm gonna go right back this could take some time this question um so I fell in love with the piano straight away and started composing very quickly um did lots of music at school but then decided that I wanted to be a princess in an ivory academic tower. So I went to study English literature (laughs) instead of music and then just missed music so badly. Mm. Even though I did lots of music making at uni, I just thought I've not the wrong path, but not a path I wanted to stay on. So I applied to the National Film and Television School thinking I had no hope in hell of getting in. I didn't have any experience. It's hugely competitive to get in. I made a complete mess of my interview. It was, just, <laughs> it was just absolutely chaotic. It was dire. And then spent three years at the National Film School. And in the first few months of me being there, the head of music brought me in and said, the only reason a woman should be in this office is to clean it. What? And I just thought, okay, I'm going to have a really hard time here. And I did. It was very male-dominated. I was very young. I was the youngest person at the, that had ever been to the film school. Wow. was completely in over my... I had no idea what I was doing. I look back and I think it was like 
sending this tiny prawn into a, just a <laughs> sea of evil sharks. It was horrible. <laughs> but it toughened me up. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. And then went off in all kinds of weird and wonderful directions. I did installations and sound art and scores for documentaries. Mm-hmm. Have had a very unstrategic career. <laughs> I <laughs> should really have plotted a very successful and tangential course for myself. But actually, the wonderful and thing and the tragedy of my career is that anything that interests me, I go, oh, that looks good, I'll do that. Oh, that looks good, I'll do that. I'm a complete gadfly. So kind of came into games like I did with everything else by accident. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, I feel like I found my home, that it brings all these strands of things that I was interested in very neatly together, this sense of place and narrative the way we tell stories, the way we uncover stories. And that was what attracted me to composing for film in the first place. Mm -hmm. But games seem like a more magical and creative space to do that because they're such, you can have fantastical stories. Yes. I think the closest I've come to that is writing for animation where you have these amazing visions. Yes. And without wanting to sound like Miss World, it's such a privilege to work (laughs) with these mental guys (laughs) who are just you know so clever and I had these real prejudices about what games men usually men are like and I just thought they were you know really hyper violent and aggressive and Mm -hmm. kind of meatheads and actually they're just the most liberal wonderful (laughs) intellectual men that you can meet it just was so surprising to me that there was this amazing horde of people who are incredibly talented and it's just so much fun. I've never had so much fun in my life as writing for games. projects are you working on right now? So at the moment I'm writing the score, I've just finished writing the score actually for Amnesia, A Machine for Pigs, which if you'd have said what is the absolute opposite to Esther, you would have come up with pigs because it is this terribly horrific horror game which has actually put me off eating pork. (laughs) And I'm not even joking. It's so horrific. And after the restraint and beauty and romance of Esther to be thrust into this man-pig, horror-churning, steampunk Victoriana has been quite a shock to the system. And sometimes I do go to bed and think, I, what have I done? What have I done with this? Because the music's just so horrible. And I really scared myself writing it, which I couldn't believe. Because, yeah. you know, when you do it, you think, oh, it can't be that scary. <laughs> and often I'd leave it playing without realising and I have my headphones on and it starts up and it's just horrible, the music. <laughs> horrible so, in a wonderfully scary kind of way, right? Absolutely. Yes. That's exactly what I wanted to say. Yes. 
<laughs> no, it's not just bad. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really worrying. Yes. So that's one of the projects that I'm working on. And that game is called... And Amnesia, a Machine for Pigs. Okay. And um, that's another Chinese room mm-hmm. um, development in collaboration with uh, Frictional. So it's a sequel, which is really interesting in its own right, actually, because okay. that sets up its own set of challenges. Right. When does that game come out? That comes out in January 2013. And what's scary for me is that um, the anticipation is so high for this game. The forums are just going mad for it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with Esther, we had nothing to live up to because no one really heard of us. We hadn't made a game before. And now the expectation on this game is so high. Yeah. And being the co-director as well as the composer, I feel obviously a much larger sense of responsibility for it mm-hmm. and um speaking of i sound a bit um feminist today but i'm going to go on my rant um <laughs> there was um uh, one of the forums said oh is um the same composer writing the sequel and it was a man that did the original game and someone wrote no 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 it's jessica curry and then it just went mad. Women can't write scary music. I can't believe they've got a woman writing it. So um, wow. I responded on the forum and on Twitter. I just said something like, don't worry, boys. I've got bigger cojones than you. I'm sure. <laughs> so, I've, I've enraged the gamers. So we'll see if they like it or not. I'm slightly nervous now. Fingers crossed I have written some scary music Good. <laughs> that a man could have written. <laughs> Imagine that. Exactly. I know it's crazy, isn't it? music are you working on though because you said you always kind of have your finger in a pie so let's let's hear what what kinds of other things you're you're doing right now well um i'm about to restage uh, my requiem mm-hmm. in, also in january january is going to be a very big month either yes. very successful or gin soaked i'm not sure which yet <laughs> or both um yeah, yeah, that's true actually i should look on the bright side and say there could be celebratory alcohol yes. um i wrote that uh, two years ago, and it was a real labour of love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Perpetual Light, Requiem for an Unscorched Earth. And it's about um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, mm-hmm. and specifically about Robert Oppenheimer and his mm-hmm. role and his regret um, at the events that he started. And I didn't have any money to make this project. I just thought, I'm going to make this happen. I don't care how. I'll do anything to get this thing staged Mm -hmm. and it's multimedia. So it had projections and lighting and sculptures, all kinds of things. So it was a really big endeavor. It premiered last year at the old Vic tunnels, which is an amazing underground space in London. Mm -hmm. And it's going to come back to London in January. And so that is much more traditionally classical, Mm -hmm. contemporary classical. And, um, it kind of wrote itself, really. It was the only piece of music that I wrote that I woke up 
and I dreamed the music for it, which was bizarre wow, yeah. and hasn't happened to me before or <laughs> since. But I think it was so ingrained. It was so something that I wanted and needed to say. So it's amazing to get the opportunity to restage that. And there's video online, correct? If we want to hear yes. part of it, we can, we can see it online. You can. You can see the original show at the Old Vic Tunnel. Yeah, so. It does look like an amazing space. It was beautiful. And what was incredible about that space is that um, the London Underground goes over the tunnels. Mm. So you got these rumblings as the choir was singing. Huh. And it sounded like, you know, you were underground after a nuclear attack. And it was really chilling. And it wow. added so much to the atmosphere. <laughs> cynical I don't know what your equivalent in America would be but we have a very sort of trendy set in London who come to things and they're uh, very Shoreditch based it's an area in London mm. and they're very intimidating they come in their very big lovely hipster clothes and they just go like impress me and <laughs> all these young beautiful people walked in at the beginning on the first night and I just thought I'm doomed I'm doomed <laughs> I've written choral music I'm so old-fashioned they're going to hate it but they seem to really like it and lots of people came up to me afterwards and said that it was really incredibly touching for them and I think that's probably the thread that runs through my work is this kind of emotional core people tend to cry when they hear my music so. that can be a good thing yeah well I'm hoping so. <laughs> I hope it's not tears of pain or boredom but um I seem to be completely incapable of writing anything cheerful <laughs> it seems to be a bit of a yeah deficit in my music making abilities but um which is good because the other project that I'm working on is another game called Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and that's <laughs> about the moment the world ends. Wonderful. And you don't want to sound too cheery at that moment, so I'm known now as the misery lady. <laughs> Everyone knows who to come to for a really, really dirge-like score. the horror game was it gave me the opportunity to actually be incredibly camp and large and yes. I actually broke my keyboard playing <laughs> one of the tracks in because I got so carried away in my gothic kind of world <laughs> so it was lovely to have a break from that my usual style oh indeed when you think back to um, your training and, and things like that, do you feel like you've had a particular influence from any one or handful of composers in the classical world? 
I, I've loved, I mean, we were talking earlier about Elgar and oh, Vaughan Williams mm -hmm. and that very English sound mm -hmm. is incredibly inspirational to me. moment I listen to a lot of um, Nico Muley. I think mm. he's really amazing. I think mm -hmm. he's just going to keep better, getting better and better. <laughs> Bach is the only composer that I can listen to whatever mood I'm in I'm yeah. really picky about what I listen to because I make music all day mm -hmm. and I think my ears get quite tired yes not physically tired but you no, know what I mean I know you exactly kind of, what you mean mm -hmm. you just when you're doing that sort of sound thing all day mm -hmm. you, you just get very very fussy about what you can bear to listen to yes find really interesting is how my taste evolves as I get older I used to really love the romantics I used to love Rachmaninoff and yeah. you know Debussy and Ravel and that French school and actually I'm much more into discordant um, sort of Schoenberg, Shostakovich all those kind of mm -hmm. more maybe slightly difficult people to listen to <laughs> Well if you list Schoenberg then yes we're definitely talking about the difficult people to listen to <laughs> I don't know. You traditionalist. <laughs> oh, no, I'm fine with him. I think he's fantastic. I, I think this world is a better place because of him, no matter how uh, difficult his music is. He did what mm. had to be done, and so did Debussy. You know, I mean, they Absolutely. both they both made, made things happen that uh, we wouldn't be talking today without those two. important thing that I learned on Esther was don't underestimate or prejudge your audience because mm. I think so much media not just in the games industry and in everything in television in novels all over the place people are saying you need to dumb down it needs to appeal to the lowest common denominator we need mm -hmm. to go to the it needs to just be for everybody and 
what Dan and I thought was if it's for everybody, it's essentially for nobody. Mm. And I think by following your passion, even if it is niche, even if you think no one's going to play it or love it or share it, make what you want to make. I think if you're making music or creating any other media, I just think it's so important to be focused on that singular voice dan and i always say nothing ever gets made by committee Mm. and esther was made by three people who had a shared passion and that's my aim in writing music is to keep on doing projects that scare me excite me (sighs) thrill me um i'm not a jobbing hack i never will be i'll probably be quite poor forever (laughs) (laughs) being the terrible businesswoman that i am (laughs) But it just feels like every day is such a joy. I can't believe I get to do this as a job. And Mm. that's a wonderful feeling. Well, we are quite happy that you get to do it for a job as well. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You've been so lovely today. Yes. Well, I I look very forward to hearing everything else that is coming our way from your pen. And uh, and yes, we'll, we'll... just hopefully get to talk again maybe after pigs or something that would be wonderful i hope it doesn't scare well i hope it scares you but not too much have a sort of medium level reaction of fear from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Our technical director is Sam Keenan, and we had additional technical support from Michael Osborne. Couple of important things. You can follow Top Score on Twitter and Tumblr at Top Score Podcast. If you have feedback for us, you can actually find a link to send feedback at classicalmpr.org slash topscore. And a reminder also that if you enjoy Top Score, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Public Radio or making a one-time donation. You can find out more at minnesotapublicradio.org. Perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The 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 perfect Easter egg. 
Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my gosh. The perfect Easter egg. Oh my god. 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 The perfect Easter egg. Easter egg. Oh my god. The perfect 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 Easter egg. Oh my god. 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 <laughs> yeah.